It is so good to have you with us this morning, worshiping together. We're going to get into the word of the Lord together. Let's just take a moment, first of all, and let's just uh, be thankful again as we remember all the men and women, all the people that have dedicated their lives and paid the ultimate price so that we could be together this morning here, worshiping together in spirit and in truth. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. And we also just want to remember those that lost their lives in Texas this week at the, all the children and the teachers. Week before that, up in Buffalo. So let's just uh, remember to always be thankful to God for his goodness and his mercy. I really believe I've been pondering it a little bit. I should say a little bit, probably quite a bit. Purposing, purposing to not allow myself to get drawn into the vicious cycle of media last week and this week. Purposely didn't do it. And I can honestly tell you I may have had 60 minutes tops of actually listening or reading different things about the tragic events, and, uh, but the, the rhetoric that goes with it. And so my challenge, I believe God's given us a challenge. My challenge for all of us is, are we spending more time grieving and mourning for the families that lost loved ones than we are getting caught up in the political rhetoric of how to solve the issue? There's a time and a place for that, and there's people appointed for things like that, but... Really, can't we just take some time to grieve? When you're tempted to get into a debate as to what should happen, what shouldn't happen, what should be right, what shouldn't, you know, you know the rhetoric that goes on. The media, I don't care what media you like, who your favorite media is, they feed on stuff like this. It, it's good for them. It's, it, you, 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 it, it puts their ratings way up. They're like sharks in the water. When blood's in the water, they cut, they're all over it. So don't allow yourself just purpose that you're not going to get sucked into it. But no, I'm going to take some. Every time I'm tempted to get into the debate, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to take some time. I'm going to grieve the families that lost loved ones. I'm going to pray for them. Can we do that this week and next week and the next couple of weeks? There's a time to grieve. There's a time to heal. And there's plenty of time for all the other stuff that needs to take place. But let's not get caught up in all the worldly rhetoric. Let's... Let's agree when it's appropriate. Let's mourn with those who mourn. Amen. We serve a good God. He's the same God today. You say, well, where is God in this? God is redemptively present in this. God's grace is more than sufficient in this. And we need to continue to call upon him, the God, our Lord, and our Savior. So praise God. So thank you. And we'll accept that challenge and just purpose that you're going to pray. I just need to take a moment and move this back because I feel like I'm going to bump into it every time I catch it out of my peripheral vision, so if you'll excuse me for a moment, there we go. All right. Praise God. 
I'm going to continue on what we've been teaching on for this, this, this entire month on transformational thinking. I'm going to be finishing that up today, and I want to take a look at it again from Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 as we, be, uh, as we bring a conclusion to this particular series on the challenge of transformational thinking. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, we are instructed to not copy the behavior and the customs of the world, but to let God transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. We change the way we think gives God opportunity to bring about transformation in our lives. And that transformation is a work of the Holy Spirit. I've been sharing with you that making a commitment to become a new person in Christ, to allow God to bring about the transformation that is in alignment with his will and his purpose for our lives requires of us a commitment to the work of the Holy Spirit within us. You're born again, child of God. The Holy Spirit's abiding within you. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he instructed them to let the Holy Spirit renew their thoughts and their attitudes. This takes the work of the Holy Spirit. This is not a mental exercise you can go through. There's a certain degree of success mentally. You can make mental decisions to do certain things. But until it becomes a, a transforming work of the Holy Spirit, when you get tired or under pressure, you're going to revert back to your same old way of thinking if it's, just a, if, if it, if it's only been a mental exercise. So you want to go beyond the mental exercise, and you want to make it a work of the Holy Spirit so that it is a significant work, it's a transforming work, and it's a work that endures through every season of life. So let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Invite him into your life. Invite him to help you and, and to lead you in that. And it also requires... A listening. You heard that exhortation this morning about Samuel being able to listen to the voice of God. It takes, a, it takes an ability to learn, a willingness to learn, to listen to Christ's wisdom moment by moment in every circumstance, in every situation, rather than relying on your own thoughts and experiences. So if you'll make a practice out of every situation that you find yourself in, every dilemma, when you find yourself up, you know, in a particular situation, take that moment, push the pause button, and say, Holy Spirit, what would be the wisdom of God in this situation? How would you have me respond? How would you have me to think about this? What is a proper attitude here? And, and invite him into uh, bringing you into a right frame of mind, into changing the way I think in the natural, thinking the way I used to think, but in, uh, that's a good place to invite the Holy Spirit, renew my thoughts and my attitudes, and learning to listen to the voice of the Spirit. So it really requires us to engage in explore, exploring and engaging uh, the, the thinking capacities God has given us in a manner that always proceeds from and is subject to, proceeds from and is subject to the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. So don't copy. Everyone say, don't copy. So we don't want to be copying the behaviors, the thinking processes of the world. We're not to copy that. The behaviors, the customs of this world, but allowing God to transform us. Now, I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, whatever device you want to read along with, and it'll be up on the screen behind me as well. But let me read several verses to you from Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading at verse 25. And I'm going to read all the way through verse 34. 
said, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. This is Jesus speaking to his audience. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Verse 27 is a question. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And the answer is? All right. Verse 28 and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't worry or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Verse 31, so don't worry about these things saying. That's an important key there when we're talking about... Uh, being transformed in our thinking and overcoming the worrisome thoughts that, that take up so much bandwidth in our, in, our, in our minds. How can we overcome that? Don't worry about these things saying. A, a really big leap in overcoming it is to stop articulating it. Stop putting voice to your worry. Stop saying everything you're and prophesying it as if you're believing that your worry's going to come to pass. But that's not my message today, but I threw that in there for free. <laughs> Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That's what I want you to catch in this, among other things, but really want you to catch that in verse 32. These things dominate, everyone say dominate. Dominate the thoughts of who? Dominate the thoughts of who? Unbelievers. Unbelievers. Implying that they should not be dominating our thoughts. Our mind should not be dominated with worrisome thoughts. Worrisome activity is not what we are to be thinking on. It is not transformational thinking. It is unbelieving thinking. It is unregenerated thinking, and we want to learn to overcome it. Overcome it. So these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Enough for today. All right. So these worrisome thoughts are dominating the thoughts of unbelievers. And Jesus is saying, I don't want this, this type of thinking to be dominating your mind. You, and I shared with you, I think it was last week or the week before, that uh, it, it, it's a reality that you will always move in, in the direction of your most dominant thinking, your most dominant thoughts. You just naturally, your body... That's the direction you go into. What are you constantly thinking about? What are you constantly saying and thinking and, and worrying? Or even, I mean, that's a negative sense, but in, in a positive sense as well. You will move in the direction of your most dominant thoughts. So verse 27, can all your worries, can all your dominant thoughts add a single moment to your life? Have they added any quality to your life? 
And the answer again is, no, they really haven't. If anything, they've taken away. I was distracted about this. I was distracted about that. I was worried about this, and I was worried about that. And while I was worried about all these different things, taking up all this bandwidth in my mind, I missed my children growing up. Or I missed this, or I missed that. You can fill in the blanks any way you want to put it. I missed out on so much because I allowed my mind to be dominated with worries and thoughts. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, we are told, it says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And verse 7 tells us, Then you will experience then you will experience God's peace and goes into verse 8 then and tells us to fix our thoughts on those things that are good and lovely and pure and praiseworthy. So the question for us this morning is, what can we do about us? What can I do about me? What can we do about us when it comes to this, uh, this culture that we're living in, the turmoil that we experience you know, we, we, we come through crises, we come through one crisis, and we think, okay, good, we're through that, we got that behind us, now let's just go on, let's get life back to normal, and then another tragedy pops up. And then another crisis appears, and then another war erupts somewhere in the world. And, and just, things just continue to happen in rapid-fire concession. So, but what can we do about us? I think we've come to a place, you know, where we recognize that controlling Controlling the, the external environment. Thinking that we have been, we've come to a place of enlightenment and we can now control the environment. I think, you know, that, that thinking that, that European enlightenment, you know, and that has taken place and, and then more and more things happen and all of a sudden we realize, okay, Perhaps we're not as enlightened as we thought we were. We, you know, we, we, can't, we can't control this or we can't control that. So let's really come back to recognizing my point being is that we need to focus less on the environment, the cultural environment, even the natural environment, external things, and start focusing on what's going on inside here. What's the environment in my heart, in my mind? Is it out of control with anxiousness, with worry, with fear, with dread? Or am I experiencing peace, as the, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he said, and the God of peace. I mean, when I read that, it says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. When you do this, he's implying that and then the peace of God will rule and reign in your heart, a peace that surpasses all comprehension, beyond what you can comprehend. There's a supernatural grace. There's a supernatural peace. I'm saying that because, I mean, you could take any timeline of history, but I'm going to take a timeline that's closer to my age, all right? This is beyond my age, so don't age me by this first date that I'm going to give you. But in 1947, that's before I was born, just so you know that. <laughs> Not much, but <laughs> a few years. In 1947, there was a book written by W.H. Alden, Title: The Age of Anxiety. I did not read the book. I read the report on the book. It was a Pulitzer Prize winning book. 
The Age of Anxiety, and the cultural relevance of that book when it was written and addressing that the title is what caught people's attention, The Age of Anxiety, and he's really referring to the cultural temperament that was taking place, and over the last several decades prior to this book being written, the world had gone through two world wars, a pandemic, a pandemic, and we're heading very, very quickly into a nuclear cold war. And he wrote the book, The Age of Anxiety. Now, I find that interesting because in, in, especially in my thinking, I think it's pretty normal for people to think this way, but to think about, boy, back when life was simple. To me, back when life was simple, when I was born in the, I was going to say mid-50s, but that would be lying. In the, or I was born in 53, if that helps you. But in the 50s and 60s, I think that's when life was peaceful, being a little boy growing up on a farm out in the country in rural Reinholds, Pennsylvania, not too far from here, about 15, 20 minutes uh, southwest of here. You know, life was simple. I didn't, I don't know if I ever worried a day about anything. Never. I don't even know if I, I'm not even sure I knew what worry was. Didn't have a care in the world. On into the 60s, not a care in the world. Not a care in the world. You know, so I th we think along terms of back then when life was simple. But here this man is writing this book in 1947, and he's addressing the age of anxiety. Talking about the world wars, the pandemic, the influenza pandemic, and the Great Depression was in, was in that timeline as well. And quickly moving towards nuclear cold war. In 2017, I read an article by uh, Dr. Sissy Goff. She's the director of Child and Adolescent Counseling at Daystar in Nashville, Tennessee. And she made the claim that the biggest issue facing children today is the increasing anxiety epidemic in our country. This is 2017. And according to an article by the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety is the most common mental health disorder in the United States, affecting nearly one-third of both adolescents and adults. So my question is, what can we do about us when Jesus is so boldly directing his disciples not to worry and giving them the antidote for it, don't worry, don't be anxious. Pray, pray about everything. Pray about everything. So there is a solution. There is a way that we cannot be taking on the customs of this world, which Jesus said that, that, that is the dominant thought of unbelievers. The dominant thought of unbelievers is worry. Jesus said that. And he's also challenging us that we should not, that should not be our dominant thinking process. I predominantly should not be mulling around anxiety, worry. So what can we do about it? Don't copy the behaviors of the world. What can we as the church, what can we do, in, what can I do, and what can we do collectively as the body of Christ? What can be done? 
Certainly, there has to be more than, than, than just giving up and saying, well, we just, nothing can be done. It's just the way it is. You know, we're, it's obviously, it's a sign of the end, and things are getting crazy, and things are getting wild. Well, there's an element of truth to that, but I don't think, you know, the, the Bible tells us we're to occupy until he comes. There's no giving up. There's no drawing back for the kingdom of God. There's, there's, there's no quit in us. We can't quit because things are getting uh, more and more evil is manifested. That doesn't say that we resign ourselves and just... Uh, you know, let it be. That's not the solution. That's not helping anyone. Jumping into the political fray and being mad and accusing one another, that's not the answer. So what can we do? I think we realize that there are limitations of secular reasoning for providing moral absolutes and motivations to sacrifice our selfish interests for the good of another. There's only so much that secular reasoning can do, and you can put that in any arena that you want to. But there's only so much that can be done. What has to happen and what needs to be happening is for us to come to a place where we are allowing God to transform the way we think and to change our attitudes, and to go to God in prayer. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15 and 16, says, This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In returning to me, the NIV says, In repentance, in repentance, and returning to me. And so in returning to me and resting in me, you will be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. Quietness and confidence. That's not worry. That's not anxiety. This is a confident and a strength. A, a quietness and confidence is your strength. The next line says, but you would have none of it. You would have none of it. Now, I told you, I watched very little and I listened to very little, but I saw one headline that really, really perturbed me and really got me going, and I really need to rein it back in. But I, 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 I read a headline where one, I, don't even, I don't even remember if it was a politician or if it was uh, someone, if it was an actor, I don't, I don't remember, some type of celebrity. But they made the statement, F your prayers... Do away with guns. Now that type of rhetoric is way too common. Way too common in our culture today. But this is showing you the, the polarization. And so, but we have a part that we can do, and that's not to jump into the fray of that argument. And dropping the F-bomb isn't going to help anybody anywhere. And getting into the argument of pro this or anti this, isn't, it's not time for that right now. It's a time for grieving and it's a time to come to the God in repentance and pray and ask God for wisdom. And not just asking God for wisdom for me, asking God wisdom for us, but we are to be praying for those that are in positions of authority over us. We are to be praying for those, our elected officials, we are to be praying 
for police and teachers, everyone that's in a position of authority, we are to be praying for these individuals. And not just being a Monday morning quarterback when everything goes wrong, then we pop up and we have the answers. But to be proactive in praying for our nation, praying for the people in positions of authority over us, praying for the safety and the well-being of individuals. I think it might be a good idea that whatever school district you live in, you make it a purpose, you're going to pray for your school. I used to always pray for Wilson when my kids were there, but now my kids are gone, and I find myself not praying for the Wilson School District. But now I'm praying for the Bayshore Elementary School in Tampa, Florida, because my daughter is a first-grade teacher there. So when I pray for Megan, her well-being, I pray for her classroom, and that her classroom would be a safe, healthy learning environment, and not only her classroom, but make the entire school a safe, healthy learning environment. And do it in a spirit of faith and confidence and believe God for your, for your school. So let's, let, it's not too much to ask, is it? Let's just pick it up. If we'll come to him in prayer. But the statement that really grabbed me here is in, in returning to the Lord and resting in quietness and in confidence. That's going to be our strength. But he made the statement that you would have none of it. You said no one... You said, no one will get our, no, we will, listen to this, no, we will get our help from Egypt. Egypt, there's typology of the world system. But there are, there are limitations to secular reasoning, to secular wisdom and motivations. There's limitations to that, which we all know that. We can see that. It's obvious. But with God, all things are possible. So let's go to God with a spirit of faith. Let's go to God with a spirit of humility, asking him to forgive us in areas that we've missed it in, in prayerlessness. Where, did, where was I not praying where I could have been praying? Who was I not interceding for that I could have, should have been interceding for? And let's mourn with those who mourn, and let's, let's get busy, and, and let's be praying. He, he said, you said, no, we will get our help from Egypt. They will give us swift horses for riding into battle. But the only swiftness you are going to see is the swiftness of the enemy chasing you. It's time for us to stop resisting God. We must no longer resist God. We must learn to hear his voice and to make ourselves available. Say, here I am. I make myself available. You can have it all. You can have it all. I will pray who you have me pray for. I will, I will seek reconciliation and who you would have me seek reconciliation for. But I'm no longer going to be resisting coming to you when it, when it, just, it's, it seems so simple. You know, Philippians 4, 6 is probably, you know, if you've been in church for any amount of time, it's, it's one of those memory verses. You pretty much know it. Don't be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, but, it, but pray about everything. And it, and it becomes so commonplace that we really we, we begin to lose the, the significance of it, the power that is in that. The familiarity of it doesn't make it less powerful, doesn't make it less true. And so let's not just look at verses like that and say, well, that's, that's, that's a great memory verse, but you know, I'm not going to teach that, I'm not going to preach that, or I'm not going to meditate on that because after all, I learned that one way back in elementary, way back in children's church. Well, yeah, but it's still working. 
It's still working. He said, if we will pray about everything, that his peace would guard our hearts and guard our minds. And that way, we won't be, our, our minds won't be occupied with worrisome thinking. The bandwidth will no longer be everything worrisome, worrisome, worrisome. Now it's going to be filled with, with a quietness and confidence, and that is going to be our strength. There's another scripture. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. When the church of the Lord Jesus Christ returns to God, and it's telling God's people, when my people turn from their wicked ways. It's not for us to say, oh Lord, I just pray that these people turn from their wicked ways and they become worrisome like me. <laughs> well, maybe we should just call worrisome wicked. But you get the point. It's us. It's the church. That's the salt and the light. Stop looking to secular solutions. I'm not saying we avoid everything that's, that modern science has given us. I, I personally believe that everything good that has come out of, out of modern science is because of the wisdom of God. So I don't even consider it secular. But if we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, and we turn from our wicked, worrisome ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Heal their land. So let's just take a moment right now, and let's pray. Can we do that? Let's just take a moment, and let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we return to you. We return to you, as Isaiah the prophet said, that only in returning to you and resting in you in the spirit of repentance will we be saved, will there be healing and reconciliation. And in quietness and in confidence, we will discover strength. And Father, let us not be, let us not be resistant to this, but let us be receptive. Let us be available. Help us to hear your voice, Father God, and that in Jesus' name that we rid ourselves and we repent of our worrisome ways. Help us, Father God. I know it's not just a magic wand that we can just put it out there and say, well, don't worry, don't worry. I've been guilty as anyone else of telling people that are stressing and worried and anxious, just say, well, well stop worrying, trust God. Well, that is true, but it's probably not presented in its best way. So we thank you, Father, that in Jesus' name, name above every name, that we look to you for the wisdom of God. We look to you for the grace of God. And Father God, we also just are, are so thankful for all that you have, all the resources that are available to us today. We thank you for the wisdom of modern science. We thank you, Lord God, even for a, a uh, wisdom in, in, in therapy and in, and in medication being part of the solution. But Lord, we never want to forget 
the powerful, living Word of God that has the absolute power. to heal, to bring about the transformation. So Holy Spirit, come, fill us again right now. A river of your spirit from heaven's throne, fill us to overflowing. Fix our thoughts, our thinking, and our attitudes that are out of alignment. Empower us to do so. I don't want anyone leaving here today or that's listening to us online. I don't want you to go through the rest of the day just frustrated because you know you shouldn't think the way you're thinking. You know you shouldn't have the attitude that you're having, but you're struggling with letting it go. Father, may the Holy Spirit anointing come into our lives in a miraculous way and bring restoration renewal to your glory and to your honor. Thank you, Father, for the powerful, living word of God, sharper and quicker than any two-edged sword, bringing about the desired results in our lives today. It's in Jesus' name all the people said, amen, amen. Praise God. Thank you so much for being here this morning, worshiping with us, and trust this word has been a, an encouragement to you. And, and really believe, I really believe that uh, God is interested in, in, in doing a work in our hearts and just helping us to really make a difference. Before I let you go this morning, I want to remind you of, of the importance of your tithes and your offerings to the ministry here at Grace Church, and also the importance of that in your own lives. You know, God's interested in bringing about a heart of generosity within you, but we want to continue to encourage you to be faithful in your stewardship and in doing everything that God has, has uh, called you to do. And believe in that when you do so, when you are faithful to God in your stewardship and, and you honor God with your tithes and your offerings, that he is faithful to, to bring about and fulfill every need in your life as well. And that's an, a, that's an area all in and of itself where the subject matter this morning of uh, don't have worrisome thoughts, don't be anxious, that we shouldn't, you know, he, God doesn't want us worrying about our financial needs being met. He's promised to meet every need. He's promised to meet every need. Amen.